Today's scripture is Revelations chapter 21, verse 22 through chapter 22, verse 5. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street. of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, where it's twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. The word of the Lord. We are in part six of our series, and I hope you guys are starting to get really comfortable and familiar with this passage. And I, and, and I hope you guys are noticing that I'm just taking pieces, little bit by pieces, of something that I see in this glorious city and in this picture of this glorious city, which is to come, which is going to be our city. It is our city. Um, of how, well, what is our purpose? What we were made for, the type of life we were intended to live. And today is, in some sense, a continuation of something that I talked about last week. Last week I said that we were intended to contribute and be a blessing to others, as opposed to always looking as to take. What is it that this, this city and this culture has that I can take, which works for me? Essentially, one of the, the accusations that I made is that we in our culture is that we're constantly takers. We're always something to get something out of the culture for me, and this is our heart and our spirit. And actually, in our, the very purpose of our life, we're intended to be exactly the opposite. We are always intended to come to give. We're always intended to come to contribute something into the blessedness of others. And really today, all I'm really doing is extending that point. And I want to talk about something that's very important, which the Bible, um, well, which some Bible teachers have called the cultural mandate, which is that all human beings were intended at one point or another to build a culture. That's what we were to do to build culture, if we're going to have a life together, as soon as you just have three or four or five people gather together, and then those people start to cooperate to try to build a life together, well, somebody has to, has to, make, has to cook. Somebody has to go get the food. Somebody has to build the house. Somebody has to teach knowledge. Somebody has to lead worship. Someone has to 
um, teach the children or take care of the, uh, of the little ones. Someone has to take care of the elderly. So as soon as you gather a set of people together, whether it's 10 people or 20 people, so let's just say we have a tribe of literally only five people or 10 people, and those are the only five or six people living on the whole earth, and we're going to live together. Guess what? There's going to be culture. All those pieces of the things I just said today flow out of the command where in Genesis God says, go and have dominion and subdue the earth. And in that simple, seemingly very simple command, many theologians have said, this is a mandate to build culture. That's what it is. I absolutely think it's correct. And in the beginning of the Bible, it starts with this mandate to build culture in a garden. And as culture begins to grow, 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 as there's more and more people, more and more gifts, and then more and more complexity of all the different things that need to be contributed for the blessedness of life together, the culture becomes thicker and richer and bigger and stronger, right? And as that starts to happen, especially as more and more people gather together, it goes from, it goes from a little village to a town, and really the peak of culture the peak of culture in human life is it's the city. That's why the Bible starts with the garden and it ends with the city. Because God wants the fullness of culture. That's what the picture of the city is about. I mean, um, one of my favorite Bible teachers is Timothy Keller, and he likes to say, heaven is going to be urban. <laughs> That's what he likes to say. Um, well, well, of course, because he lives in the middle of Manhattan, he likes to tell Manhattanites, hey, heaven is going to be like, like New York. I'm like, well, not so fast there, Tim, all right? Um, um, I'm not exactly sure if heaven itself is going to be quite urban. I, I, I hope it's not exactly like New York City. I hope it's far greater than New York City. But um, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if there's some things that are like New York City. Um, but I also imagine there'll be some things like San Jose. And, but I think the, more, the deeper, more fundamental point is that the fullness of culture is expressed through the city. And what does it mean, then, that we are, that the purpose of our life is that we are culture builders, is that ultimately we're city builders. We're culture builders, we're city builders. To build culture, and then especially to do it to its most advanced stage, is to build cities. That's what we're here for. We're here to contribute into the life of the city and to build the most wonderful culture. That's what we're all here for. That's really, in a nutshell, um, the thesis of what I want to get at today, and that was a little bit of a mouthful. And um, let me get at with this with three more <laughs> with three kind of macro points. Number one, um, the cultural mandate and the problem of privacy and individualism. Okay? The problem of privacy and individualism, part one. Okay, part two. Gaining yourself by losing yourself. Gaining yourself by losing yourself. And part three, thy kingdom come through servanthood. The Lord's kingdom, when we say thy kingdom, we're talking about the Father's kingdom. May it come through servanthood. Okay? I gave you the meaning of uh, and the thesis of today, which is that we have to be culture builders. God gave us a cultural mandate in creation. Every single individual human being, in one way or another, we contribute to a life together. We contribute to community. And in community, there will always be a way that we do life together, which is culture. 
And let me give you a bit of a definition of culture here. I already kind of um, hinted at it. Culture, what I mean is, is the more than the sum total of when just individuals just do th stuff together. Uh, one of my professors, Dr. Claire Davis at Westminster Seminary, um, my, uh, my church history professor, uh, a man whom I dearly love, he said, oh, culture is the thing when you put five people in the room together and the, the sum is more than just the total of its parts. <laughs> the, the total is more than just the sum of its parts. I, I guess when he, this is what he said. That's what culture is. You put five weird people in the room together and then something, com something comes out of it that you can't just quite predict because if you add up these five people, you'll know what's going to happen, right? He said, no, you don't. Absolutely right. That is culture. You don't know what's going to happen out of it. Every family has its own culture. You know that? You can go to somebody's house. you got mom, dad, and even just one child. Mom, dad, and one child. Three people. And the three people, none of the three people can con completely control the interaction of what comes out of the interaction of those three people. Do you know that? And in those three people, there's a culture. <laughs> and you go to some families' houses, if everybody hates each other, the culture is bad. <laughs> it's really quite negative. It's just like a negative energy just when you walk into the living room. Um, and then, but if you walk into the culture of a very loving family, it's quite a bit different. You can almost feel if a family is healthy just by the vibe and atmosphere of the house. You walk into the house, is there warmth? Is there joy? Is there laughter? Every family, of course, is sinful, and of course there's fights, of course there's you know, sometimes division, but is there forgiveness? Is there a peace in the house? Is there a gladness with each other? Do people all contribute? Do all the kids only play video games in the corner, and then they whine and complain and scream and rebel if mom asks them to do something? Or do they, do they contribute? Do they contribute their gifts, their knowledge, even if in small ways? That's healthy culture. And in the city, there's a lot more other different ways we need to contribute. I already talked about we need food producers. And I'm not talking about restaurants. I mean, well, we don't see them in the city. I'm talking about, and in the city, we, when we talk about food producers, we're talking about supermarkets <laughs> and restaurants. But obviously, we need people to do the farming. We need people to drive the food from the, the farms all the way out here. Those are all different ways to contribute into the culture. But how about other things? Um, we, need, we, need, uh, we need professors. We need engineers. We need architects. Um, do you know that, that architects very much shape the way people interact? Do you know that? That this building, let's just take our church building for instance. Um, the previous lead pastor, he led, the, he led the, our effort to have this building. And he once told me that he didn't quite like the way our building was shaped. Because it didn't produce easily spontaneous ways that uh, the, the core members of our church would bump into each other and cause us to mesh together. Do you know that if the building is set up for us to always have to walk through to, to get to certain places and then we bump into each other and then they were gonna, we want to naturally sit down together, that it will produce more spontaneous love and care and creativity? He's absolutely right about that. There are people who know how to think that way 
and to produce that type of blessing. But if the buildings don't do that, if you just have, so if you went to old Russia, and you know what the buildings, they were very, very functional. They were just old concrete blocks to house bunches of people. And you know that because the architecture was ugly and utilitarian, it actually made the people depressed. We need people who do the fashion. You ever seen pictures of the way people dress in communist China? They all wore these old drab gray clothes. Because the clothes were ugly, it made the people depressed. So next, think about that next time. Um, I, I, I bought this shirt. I actually took a lot of care to buy this shirt. And some of you are thinking, Pastor, you got no taste. Well, ugh, whatever to you if you think that, right? This is a Brooks Brothers shirt. It actually cost a significant amount of money. And um, I got it on sale because I don't usually have that kind of money to buy, buy shirts from Brooks Brothers. But I love this shirt. Uh, when it comes out of the wash, here's what you do. You just dry it, and then you just go like, and there's no, you just go, and then there's no iron. I was like, great. And then you just put it on, and, in the, and, and I don't want to be thinking about ironing my shirt on Saturday night. I just want to put it on on Sunday morning and get out of the house, and I want my sermon to be in my mind. Not ironing, okay? And somebody designed this, okay? So it took engineering, it took creativity, and it was a contribution of bless. And I hope the only reason they didn't do it was just to make money. They actually wanted creativity to bless the city and the life together. It's all part of the culture. Just while I'm at it, is music and beauty and art do you think it's optional? Is it a luxury or is it a necessity? Hmm. Some people think art is a luxury. Some people think it's a necessity. Hmm. Yeah. If I were to ask you, do you think it's a luxury? Let's actually have a little quick vote of, since we, there's only so many people in the room. Who thinks it's on the luxury side? Raise your hand. Hmm. I'll give you five seconds to decide. All right. Who thinks it's on the necessity side? Raise your hand. Come on, I'll, I'll raise my hand just a second because you know, since I'm the so-called teacher, all, all the students have to kind of go vote first. Come on, come on, let's do it. Raise your hand for uh, luxury. Three, four. Raise your hand for necessity. I guess I didn't teach Frank well enough. There's only one person who thinks, I think art is necessity, not luxury. Think about that next time. Think about that next time. Um, there's art in clothing. You want to wear ugly clothes? <laughs> there's art. Most of you think about how beautiful the car is before you buy it. There's art in the car. It's called design. Hmm? Hmm. Um, most of you don't want to live in an ugly house. It's called, we don't call it art, because the reason we call it art is because uh, paintings are art. Sculptures are art. No, art is aesthetic beauty placed into everything. That's all art is. And if you think of it that way, art is a necessity, I think. If we don't have artists, or at least artistic engineers, <laughs> artistic, uh, beauty-oriented, um, beauty-oriented car designers, and of course, certainly beauty-oriented um, clothes makers, then we'll all be miserable and die, we'll literally be dying. People who live in communist China, 
they were dying. Do you know how many of them drank themselves? Do you know the alcohol rate, the suicide in the Soviet Union? It was still so bad that even today they're not communists anymore, and yet they still have all the habits of depression, alcoholism, drug abuse, crime. They're still dying. You put that kind of uh, death and godlessness, because everybody was just there just to deal with life, not to build a culture. Now I want to talk a little bit about private. There's a, there is a very strong bias in our culture that says your religion should be private. Your religion should be private. And I want to push back against that. And it, it goes along with the general idea of individualism in our society. Our society believes not only in individualism, we believe in radical individualism. <laughs> we believe that in order for life to be happy, it's really all about my choices. If my choices, including my choice of what God I choose. So, we, so the society, our society believes religion should be private. And I think that's incredibly hypocritical. All the people who believe that um, typically are secularists. And they all think, and by the way, if you're a Christian who thinks that religion should be private, you're not, you're, it's nonsense. Religion by its very nature is public. Religion by its very nature says what is true about God, what is true about people, where are we from, where are we going, what should be the values of our culture, what type of culture should we, what type of culture should we build. So the communists felt like they didn't believe in religion. Of course they believed in religion. They believed in atheism. <laughs> so there will always be a public way to adjudicate our culture. And guess what? It's always religious. It's always religious. Because religious, broadly speaking, is not about do you believe in that God or that God or that God. It is do you believe in any God at all? That's a religious question. It cannot be private. It's public. That's why, if you're a Christian, you can't just worship by yourself at home. If you think you're doing that and you're a solidly good Christian, you're a horrible Christian. In fact, you may not even be a Christian at all. Let me just say that to you. You're utterly not obeying the Bible. It is public. We must publicly gather together and worship and proclaim Jesus. You must publicly go into the, the public sphere, and you must be a Christian there too. You, we need Christian artists. We need Christian engineers. We need Christian um, teachers and principals. Yes, we need Christian political leaders. That doesn't mean they're going to try to jam the gospel down people's throats because that's not your job if you're the mayor. Okay? But you should be informed about what you think are, is the most deepest, truest things. And I think it's incredibly, sick, uh, incredibly hypocritical of people to say, okay, Yet stuff you believe about God, you just keep that at home. But all the secular atheist people, they can just push all their values and impose it upon us. So they say, you can't impose your religion on everybody else, but then they impose their religion upon us. Unbelievably hypocritical. If we're going to have a healthy public square, guess what? What we believe should be, you should be able to be a Christian in, in the public square. You should be able to be a Hindu in the public square. You should be able to be an atheist. You should be able to be an agnostic. And no one group just gets their way and imposes it upon everybody else. We have to learn how to treat each other with, with humility, neighborliness, and servanthood. And guess what? 
that is right in line with what we, we believe as Christians. I think everybody knows that that needs to happen. You don't have to be a Christian to believe in that. But I want to say that to you. If you just think you're only going to be a Christian, this is absolutely part and parcel. Right here in Revelation 21, what do you have? Do you have a segregated city? Do you have radical individuals only taking from the city to say, no, they're all here to till and support the tree of life and for the healing of all nations. And do you notice it's incredibly multi-ethnic? Except they do it for the glory of God. Now, many of our neighbors, they call God by different names and they think, you know, they think they know God, but they don't. The God that they call is not the real God. But at least they understand that someone or something above us must be sought. Which a lot of the, the atheists don't understand, and a lot of the secular agnostics don't understand. They, but all human beings, secular agnostics too, they believe there must be some values that draw us together. And that inform the way we make products. And how we do life together. And I know this is a big and kind of broad and a little bit maybe feeling um, abstract, this point I want to make to you today, but I'm really challenging you to allow the fullness of the glory of God. See this city. The reason I'm preaching this text to you week in and week out is I want the city to be in your mind. Be in your mind. How can we make San Jose and the life and our culture and everywhere you look around, I want you to be a culture observer. I want you to go, Education, something is really wrong there. Okay, how do we do? Uh, how do we do uh, labor unions? Something is not going on right there. Huh? How do we just be neighbors on our street? Something is not going on right there. Huh? And care, and and it doesn't mean we're going to fully understand, but we're going to walk together. I do think this is absolutely part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. Because Christianity is not something you do in the privacy of Sunday morning. It cannot be. It absolutely cannot be. It must, the glory of God must shine into our life. It must shine into our city. We as a people are so compelled by it. There's no night to us. It's, it's like Jesus is the sun and he shines on us constantly. The glory of God and of the Lamb shines on us. And then we go into the city with his glory coming out of us in everything that we do. Now let me make one more point before going on to part two. Please come out of your privacy. Of course we're going to come out, if we're going to go into the public sphere, we're going to have to treat our neighbors, we're not just imposing upon them. We have to be sensitive to them and humble to them. But I just want to make the types of arguments many people think, this is the way it is out there, and we Christians, we're going to just do our thing in here, and we're going to just be a little Christian ghetto over here. Nobody cares about what we do over here. And, but let me tell you something. The things that we do aren't only for us. It'll bless everybody else too. Even things that they hate and don't understand. And let me just give you an example of this. Um, there's a book that I love called, um, called, called uh, What Our Mothers Didn't Teach Us written by a brilliant woman named Danielle Crittenden. She's not even a Christian. And she's talking about things that were lost in our culture that the previous generation knew were wise and used to be mothers handed this down to daughters. So actually, this is a woman writing to women, although I think men should read this too. 
And she talked about sexual ethics. Remember, not a Christian. And she said, in a previous generation, if women were much more sexually chaste and demanded that they didn't give sex easily, and demanded that a man would have to commit to them before they gave their bodies up to a man, then you know what it tended to do? It made every man behave better. It made every man not treat women, well, essentially like, like prostitutes, like throwaways, because I can use you sexually. And what it did was she argued that this is very interesting. She said sex, women get to control the sex like a cartel. And you guys understand what a cartel is? A cartel is like the, the provider. So the, the most famous cartel in the world is OPEC. Okay? OPEC, they produce most of the oil in the world. They get together and they agree that they're not going to just, everybody's going to just give out oil promiscuously. Let's put it that way. Okay? They're going to only give out oil in a limited way. And guess what it does? It, it blesses all the oil producers. That's what it does. Okay? Now, it may kind of screw the rest of us over because the rest of us want oil at a cheap price. But yeah, they get to keep the price high. But here's what she said. She said, if women were to all gather together and have an ethic that sex would not be given away easily, guess what? Then women would not constantly feel that they should lower their blouse line and raise their skirt line and constantly feel like their looks are the most important thing in the world and that when they're on a date with somebody, they have to think, do I have to give, well, he paid for dinner, so I guess I I, I better, you know, give him some. And the third date, fifth date, what are we talking about here? So she argued this, not a Christian, she says it would bless all the women, make all the women stronger. I read that. I marveled. I said, she's absolutely right. You know what she just picked up? She found out wisdom from the Bible that we Christians are supposed to practice. We're supposed to practice. I hope you're practicing this. If we practice this, we'll bless our non-Christian neighbors. We'll bless the whole city. Our biblical culture, which in our culture is really like a counterculture, would bless the wider culture. Let's get just one example. Hmm. Let me go to the second part of a message. Gaining yourself by losing yourself. Most of us have gifts and abilities and some talents. And they, they could be odd talents. I'm a man and I'm a good looking man. Okay, fine. Now you can you know, be a model or something like that, right? Um, but but um, you all have something. You and I, we all have something to offer. Every single one of you, even those of you who don't think you do, you all have something to offer. Whatever it is that you think that you have, that you think, we, most of us, we think of it as, this is the thing that I have. This is, so you, you may, it could be your degree, it could be your smarts. I'm really good at math. I'm really athletic. I'm a really good smooth talker, and this is the way I get my way into companies. Um, salesmen have to be very good talkers. They have to, be, they have to make... They have to be really friendly people. They have to, con- they have to be very good persuaders. It's, it's a funny thing. Salesmen and pastors, we both have to be good persuaders. You know that? We both have to be good people people. An engineer, not so much. Okay? Um, we all have different ways that we contribute. Um, but most of us think about the ways that we have to build a life for me. What does this build my life? But one of the things I want to say is, 
actually, if you're always thinking about how to stuff and make, build my life, get something from me, get something from me, get something from me, you're actually on the wrong pathway. If you want the most joyous and full life, actually, what you do is you go into the community and into its culture and say, how can I spill my life into this culture? How can I lose my life for others? How can I empty what I have, whether it's a small cup or a big cup? How can I empty myself? And then this is my special contribution for others. That is actually the way, the pathway to gain yourself. See, Jesus said this in this very odd way. If you will lose your life, he will gain it. And he was talking about salvation, but I also think that salvation is not only about eternal salvation as to whether you're going to be with God in heaven forever, but he's talking about whether your heart will be made whole and you will thrive. If you will lose yourself and you will gain it. And um, there are so many things that are broken in our culture. There are so many ways in which to contribute something into the culture that only you can do. Or maybe it's not only you can do, but at least others can do it with you, but you can do it. And um, I want to give you an example about this just for, before I go to the third part of my message. Um, I was uh, looking for an example on this all week long, and I watched a documentary. I watched a documentary, which I highly recommend. It's called The Experiment. Okay, It's called The Experiment. And if you have Netflix, maybe you, it's probably on Netflix, or you can probably find it on, maybe it's on, as a DVD on, on Amazon or something like that. It's called The Experiment, and it was about New Orleans schools. And so I happened to be flipping through, you know, and I stumbled upon this thing, and I recorded it onto my DVR a while back, and I finally watched it. And apparently, the New Orleans schools are among the worst, the worst in the whole country. Just to give you a sense of how bad the New Orleans schools are, um, the, just to give you how bad the New Orleans schools are, they have a test that they call the LEAP test. And they give this in the fourth grade and in the eighth grade. And what was happening was, so most of the New Orleans schools, a lot of them, a huge percentage of them, are considered failing schools because the most basic skills and knowledge that a fourth grader should have um, many of the kids who take this fourth grade leap test, guess what? They fail it. So you have all these schools around the city. The kids may be getting good grades from their, from their teachers, but then when they get to the leap test, guess what? Some horrendous percentage of the school, so there'll be a school, 80% of the school fail that, that leap test in fourth grade. And... Um, the, the schools are heavily African-American. They're very poor. And as I was watching this documentary, it reminded me, actually, of, uh, of, of the Indian reservation that we go out to called Bishop. I mean, you could just, the, there's a lot of uh, obesity and great poverty and fatherlessness. And I said, this is just like Bishop, except urban and more dangerous. And the guy who put together this this uh, documentary was um, a journalist, and he said that if you're a journalist and you're always producing, this kid died, this kid got shot, this kid got this shot. I mean, it's just, it's just like you report that all the time, that news is coming up. It's such a common piece of news that in the news industry, 
they actually have a term for it. They just call it the package. Tell us the package. That's the package of who shot whom where, when he died, when the cop showed up. <laughs> they call that the package. It's such a common story. They actually have a name for it. And he says, I told the story so much. At one point, I said, OK, I'm just becoming numbed. What's going on here? And he actually started to uh, peel back the package, and he started asking this question. Maybe the kids, what if the schools were better? Could that help less kids, fewer kids die? That's just a question he asked. He didn't ask about fixing marriage or churches. He's a secular guy, so he thought maybe the schools, if the schools were better, the fewer kids would die on, this, uh, on the streets. And so he, wrote all, and he came up with this whole documentary, and something very interesting happened. There was a hurricane called Katrina, and you know what happened with Katrina? It did physical damage to something like 80% of the school buildings in the whole city. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine if a, a horrible hurricane came through our city and essentially made 80% of the schools buildings in our city unusable? That's what happened in New Orleans because of Katrina. But the schools were among the worst, worst schools in the whole country. And then the, the leaders of the city, when they were thinking about it, they said, we have an opportunity here. We have an opportunity here. And they decided to completely change the whole school system. And they, they came up with a, an experiment of five years. That's why, hence the name of the, the documentary. A five-year experiment to allow all kinds of creativity. And so something like 75% of the schools, the public schools in New Orleans are charter schools. <laughs> so they did everything. 75% charter schools. They did vouchers. So some of the kids can get a voucher and go to a private school. And then some of the kids went to public school. And then this, uh, and the, uh, in the documentary, they tell you what happened from it. And, and you follow certain families. You follow certain families. Um, there's one family, a young boy. He must be in, I think, they, they follow a bunch of fourth graders, actually, because they're all like leading up to the leap test. Are they going to pass the leap test? This boy, very bright, regularly gets good grades in schools. His mom is very bright. She actually is a close to fin I think she's the lady. Okay, I can't keep them all straight, OK? I think she's the lady who's uh, almost about to finish her college degree, even though she's a single mom, poor single mom. This boy is very bright, but he goes to school every day. And this is the story he says, this boy, he pushed me. Then, so I pushed him back. It's not like this happens once every now and then. Some kid is always picking a fight, pushing him, mocking him, taunting him. If he does well in school, the other kids taunt him and mock him even more. So this boy, I guess he has a temper. <laughs> and he gets into fights. And he's, he gets suspended. He's, he's missed a lot of days of school because he, he keeps getting suspended, and even though he's very bright. And so the, the drama is this. And so while I, was watching this, while I was watching this documentary, I was thinking, if that boy just went into a school where someone didn't pick a fight with him every single day, he'd probably be just fine. I was thinking about that kid. My kids go to one of the top scoring schools in California. I said, if that kid went to my, our, our kid's school, he went to Meyerholtz Elementary School at Cupertino, if that kid went to Meyerholtz, I bet you he'd be fine. 
But in that neighborhood, very good chance he's going to end up dead as a teenager. And, and if you watch this documentary, you'll meet a lot of people who are doing Herculean, just unbelievable work. Some in the charter schools, there's, a, there's one principal. There's an African-American principal he has interviewed. And he just bluntly talks about how you can't fire anybody. <laughs> he goes, and you have these teachers, they just don't even care anymore. And um, I try to shuffle them out of my school. He's a public school teacher. And he's very honest and blunt about essentially how he, he, his hands are so tied, he can't make things happen. Then you talk to, there was a, a, a Caucasian guy who was the founder of one of the, um, the charter schools, New Orleans College Prep. The, the college prep, it's an elementary school that they call college prep. This guy gets to hire and fire his teachers. Um, in the middle of the documentary, there's a boy that gets murdered literally outside of his school. <laughs> and and this, is something he regu- this is something he has to regularly deal with. And all those people, you know what they're doing? When I watched every single one of them, none of them were doing it for money. None of it were doing it for their fame. None of it were doing it for themselves. When I watched them, they had, they had power in their face. They had joy. They were all self-forgetful. They were spilling themselves out for purpose. They lived a deep and meaningful life. We all, and I'm just giving you an obvious way of doing this. If you want, you want to see what meaningful, what it means to, to gain yourself by losing yourself, I'm not even talking about Jesus here. I don't know if any of those people, I mean, a number of them probably believe in Jesus. I mean, there was one, one of the schools, they kind of ran their activities and it reminded me of a black church. I mean, they didn't talk about Jesus, but the way they celebrate and they clap and they spur each other on and then they would clap whenever somebody do something good, it reminded me of a black church. And I said, I bet you half those teachers go to church. They probably go to a black church. They're probably Christians. Except here at their at schools, they're being Christians without naming the name of Jesus, losing their life to gain their life, to pour blessing and contribute into the life of the city. That's what they're doing. What an incredible thing. Now, let me say something to you. That may be a really broken down and poor city, but when I looked at New Orleans, when I looked at that picture of New Orleans and what's happening inside New Orleans, and that deep argument and fight about charter schools to bless the city, I looked at that and I said, that's better than San Jose. That's what I said. That's better than San Jose. Spiritually, there's character there. Those people want to go into the poverty of their city and say, I want to spill myself to build a more beautiful culture. That's not happening in San Jose. In San Jose, if you don't like this, the schools, because we have failing schools too, they tend to be on the east side of the city. You know what people do? They just move. And you know how those, and you know how New Orleans got so bad? Because the white folks didn't want to be with the black folks, and they all just went into the private schools, and they just moved out of the city into the suburbs. And so the schools got bad, but I, I love watching these people, some black, some white, build the culture of their city. We're not doing that here in San Jose. Not a lot of us aren't. Most of us aren't. So, brothers and sisters, I want you to think about that when you go to work. You young guys, think about that when you pick your, ma- your major. Please don't only pick the major because oh, this will make the most money. 
come on. You only have one life to give for the glory of Jesus. Do you want to spend most of it just trying to make money? Really? Is that the most important thing there is? And I know some of you are going, come on, Pastor, we've got to make money. I know we've got to make money. <laughs> but that just, can't, that just cannot even be anywhere near the top priority. It cannot. And if it is anywhere near your top priority, then let me tell you, you deserve to go to hell. You deserve to burn forever because you're just so worldly. You're only about yourself. You don't believe in God. You don't believe in his holiness. You don't believe in his glory. You're run by yourself and your selfishness. You deserve to go to hell. Let me just say that to you right now. Okay? So if you're sitting there going, come on, Pastor, we just got to make money. Shut up. Stop saying that inside your head. Okay? Hear me. You deserve to go to hell. Stop saying that because that voice inside your head is from the devil. Everybody thinks that in this city. That's why our city sucks. That's why our city is garbage. I don't care how pretty it is and how rich it is. It's hell-bound. Right? So stop thinking that. We have to be beauty contributors. We must build a beautiful city, a holy city, a righteous city, a humble city. And if you are not a part of that, then you're on the wrong side. Let me just say that right now. Okay, I didn't know I was going to do that, but... <laughs> I think that's from the Holy Spirit. And too many Asian Americans, we just suck. We just do. We only care about money and grades and my life and my little comforts. Okay? And if that's all the way we're going to live in this city, then you don't deserve to be blessed by God. I hope God curses you. You'll be cursed by that way of thinking and way of acting. So stop it. Please, repent. Repent. Okay? And it's not going to be a one-time thing because you're going to, we're going to, we do this again. We do this every day. We, can, we sin the sin on Monday. Then we sin the sin on Tuesday. We sin the sin on Wednesday. We've got to repent on Monday. We've got to repent on Tuesday. We've got to find little ways to repent. And say, okay, today I'm not going to be a taker. Today I'm going to be a contributor. Let's repent. Just even a small little way. I'm going to pick up this trash off the street because nobody else will do it. That's repentance. Okay? It's repentance. Just today I'm just going to find out one little way to serve my community. Just one little thing. Just care a little something. Even if it's just a little thing. Just a tiny little thing. It's repentance. Let me close my message. And we've got to go to the table of the Lord. I, I, said, I told myself I wouldn't go too long, but here we go. <laughs> two, two verses I want to give you. If, if I just tell you to just do this, then, okay, so I'll make you feel guilty. And you should feel guilty if you're this way. But that's not enough if we're going to change. You can't just get guilt. You need grace. We need his kingdom come on earth. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the culture we're looking for. That's one verse I want to give you. Father, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it will be in the heavenly city. In San Jose. Thy kingdom come in San Jose. That's what I long for. That's what Jesus wanted. That's why Jesus came. That's what I want. I'm your son, Father. Your kingdom come on earth. That's one verse I want you to put into your heart. But that's not enough. See, even that's not enough. 
There has to be a pathway for us to go there to do it. It's not because we're going to be smarter than everybody else. It's because we're going to, we're going to just conquer the universities. We're going to get richer. It's not the way it works. It actually, the way Jesus brought his kingdom into the earth, you know how he did it? Through servanthood. Jesus did not come to crush us with his might. He came to serve us in the most lowly way. And the other verse that comes from Philippians chapter 2, it says, he did not consider, this is talking about Jesus, equality with God, something to be grasped. You know what equality with God is? I'm my own master, I have power. I'm rich, I'm powerful, nobody else can tell me what to do. I own everything. That's what we all want. We all are grasping. So when it says that Jesus did not come and couldn't consider that equality with God was something not to be grasped, that is a rebuke against all of us. Because that's all we want. We want equality with God. I want to be like that, and I want to be the Lord of my own life. I want to be the Savior of my own life. I want to be the Lord of my own life. I want to be the King of my own life. I want to be the Master of my whole domain. My life is my life. I'm the Creator. I'm the Master. I'm the Lord. I'm the King. But that's not how Jesus came. He did not consider something, equality with God, something to be grasped, which is crazy because he is equal to God. He is God. <laughs> he is God. He's equal to God. But he didn't think that was the thing to grasp. Instead, he emptied himself, becoming the form of a servant even unto the cross. He picked up a cross. He spilled out his blood on a cross to forgive us of our sins for all the ways in which we're takers and selfish and worldly and and evil to make us not hell-bound and to not make our city hell-bound to make our city heavenly. That's why Jesus came. Look to this Jesus and we can become more like him. And we can have the city that he's building. The city he's building, not just all our greedy money idolaters. <laughs> Most of us are money idolaters and success idolaters in this city. Right? But let's build not the city that we want, but the city that Jesus wants. And even our non-Christian friends will be deeply blessed when we do. Right? Let's pray. Lord, we think we, we're so wise we're always bouncing off the so-called practical, the money, which is just another way of always just making the money the, the top priority. All our, we're, all our young people, if they ever want to do something that really helps the poor, we're like, oh, get real, which is another way of saying you should care more about money. How, how, how can we change when we're so deeply like this, Lord? And there's such deep problems in our city. And, and, of course, we can't solve it all. But if every single person contributes one small part, we'd have so much more of a beautiful city. And, I, and there's only, whatever, the, the church-going percentage in our city is something like 3, 4, 5%. But even if every single person who was church-going in San Jose were to take upon this vision, how much more beautiful can San Jose be? And I pray, Lord, this week, this word, and I'm just one babbling fool, you would take this word and put it into the hearts of our brothers and sisters 
so that we can learn how to lose our life to gain our life. Jesus, you lost your life into servanthood so you can gain us. Help us to lose our life to servanthood toward you so that we can gain our neighbors and our friends in a far better San Jose. Pray this in Jesus' name.
Bow your heads and receive this benediction. You will be most blessed if you'll run into the city and serve it the way Jesus served us. So may the Lord bless you this way. May he bless you with heaven's joys, not only world's joys. May he bless you and may he keep you and keep you and me from wandering off into worldliness and idolatry. May he turn his face toward you and be gracious to you. May he turn the most beautiful face, the most holy face, the servant face, and shine upon us and give us blessedness, wholeness, and shalom into our city.